0: wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 35. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we meet our guest, have you followed What Should I Read Next on Instagram? I post about the books recommended on the podcast, pictures from the guests each week, bookstores I'm visiting on vacation, and more. Last week's guest, Rose, was having a great time chatting in the comments and getting additional book recommendations from listeners of the show. So why don't you come join the fun on Instagram? Again, our handle is What Should I Read Next. Today's guest is Katherine Willis-Pershey. Katherine's a friend and an author. In fact, I just read her forthcoming book, Very Married at the Beach. That's high praise for any book in my book. Katherine has recommended some great titles to me in the past, and I was excited and a little nervous to return the favor in this episode. We talk all about internet brain, redemption stories, and books that approach deep human experiences through the back door. Let's get to it. Katherine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Catherine, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I am a pastor. I'm an associate pastor at a United Church of Christ congregation near Chicago, and I'm a writer. My first book came out a few years ago, and my next book comes out in September, Very Married.
0: I can't wait to read that one. Well, thank you. Okay. How did you happen to become a reader?
1: A reader? Wow. I mean, as long as I can remember, I just loved uh, being able to escape into a book and read all kinds of different books. I was really into um, biographies as a kid. I think a lot of kids are just, you know, stepping into another
0: world. And what role does reading have in your life now?
1: It's a lot of things, but I think uh, it's, it's become my primary spiritual discipline. I, I, um, I do other spiritual practices, but none as um, religiously as reading.
0: <laughs> I like it. So to speak. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Here's how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Sounds good. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me three books you love.
1: Well, um, one of my favorites is Consider the Birds by Debbie Blue. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been a huge fan of Debbie Blue for some years now, and uh, Consider the Birds is her last book. Uh, It's it's a quirky book. It's um, essays about... um, it, the subtitle is A Provocative Guide to Birds of the Bible. I think it's probably helpful that they put that word provocative in there, because <laughs> otherwise you might think it's going to be this, like, I don't know, something completely that it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a quirky, unexpected book. Um, she's a phenomenal writer um, from, from the start. Uh, one of the, the phrases that has stuck with me so much, um, she, she describes a peacock. As being like an abstract abstract painting that sings and lays eggs, I was like, okay, you had me at your description of a peacock. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not like these vaguely spiritual essays. They're really well researched and detailed. I mean, I'm not even like into birds, and I ended up fascinated by like what she uncovered about the vulture. And then she does these amazing connections between um, really sort of human. Nature and so it ends up being less about birds than about sort of the nature of humans and how weird we are. And so um, it's a it's a great book.
0: How weird we are.
1: Yes, we are quite weird.
0: <laughs> I we think it.
1: birds are weird, but we are just as weird as
0: birds. Okay, what's book two?
1: Okay, book two is I think I actually recommended this to you before, and I'm pretty sure you've read it, Ursula have, Under by I Ingrid have. Pitt. Yes. Um, and did you read it? Because I told you, to. I totally did. I, I hope mm-hmm. I, I was hoping you would because yes. you were uh, gushing
0: about it, like I, really hardcore gushing.
1: I have not stopped gushing about this book. Um, it's a novel. Uh, and it's it's so basically, it, it's kind of hard to describe. to be You know
0: what, this has been on the podcast, I recommended this in one of the very first episodes to JC Fridiccio. It,
1: it, the story is this, you know, this two year old girl has fallen into a well. And so it's this, you know, it's really stressful, honestly, as a parent, like it's a, it's a stressful book. But then like during the time that she's in the well, uh, the, the, the whole novel is this going back and telling the stories of all of her ancestors. Um, and so like, it's, you know, different continents. I mean, you have ancestors in Finland and China. Uh, And then, you know, they travel and and it takes place in Michigan. And so it's all like coming down to like the story of how she came to be. It's like Ingrid Hill, like opens this trap door and takes you back in time. And so it's a historical novel, but like there's a chapter in every epoch of history. So um, I I loved I found it incredibly exhilarating and moving as a novel and also just how did she do that? It's such a complicated book.
0: It's so complicated. And you were just saying that Debbie Blue drew unusual connections. Like I really felt that way with Ursula Under, too. Like the way she draws connections between people's lives who don't even know they're connected, but she tells you they are and how. And it just it kind of blew my mind.
1: Yes, it's definitely a
0: mind blowing book. Okay, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Honest answer. Did you love every page? Because there were some epochs that I skimmed hard.
1: (laughs) I will say I had a really hard time getting into it. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I, I persevered is because it was a book club book. And I used to be really, really good about (laughs) always reading my book club books. Now I've under book deadline. I don't, I'm not as good, but, um, so I did stick with it because of that. You know, it, not every section was as fascinating, but you had this sense that like, well, at the end of this chapter, we're on to, the next people. Uh, So I, I mean, I certainly, I didn't, I didn't really slag through it um, Mm -hmm. as much as I know some people kind of didn't love the, the always starting over again, feeling at the beginning of every new
0: chapter. Mm, Yeah. Like you meet a whole new cast of characters and you have to get oriented all all
1: the connections and, and then it all makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. What's book three.
1: Okay. Book three is another nonfiction book um, about cholera. Um, So, you know, keep it. Okay. Yeah, tell us ghost, more. The ghost map by Steven Johnson. Um, and it, I mean, it is very odd. Um, and I actually suggested this book for my book club and one of the, my friends ended up reading it at the pool and she was like totally grossed out by like, <laughs> thinking about water and, you know, pathogens in water and like wanted to like tell all of her children to get out of the fountain. <laughs> so, but it's, um, so it takes place in Victorian London and it's basically the story of how they solved, um, how cholera is transmitted. Mm-hmm. And it was during a horrible outbreak of cholera in, in London. And there's these um, two heroes of the story. Um, uh, John Snow was a doctor, and then Henry Whitehead was a local pastor. And it kind of took both of their perspectives and then them happening to come together and sh- share um, what they were figuring out to um, to identify that it's, it's waterborne, that you get it by drinking um, water that's contaminated. Um, Johnson is such a good storyteller, even though it's nonfiction. It's one of those books that just totally reads like a novel. And I ended up like, getting weepy about these, you know, anonymous London, Victorian Londoners dying, you know, alone in their rooms. I mean, he just, he, he, he really treats it like a novel. And I just loved that. So.
0: Okay, that I know I've read something about the cholera academic before. And now I'm wondering if it was that and just so long ago, I don't remember, because this is sounding very familiar.
1: I actually reread it last summer and I ended up reading aloud some of it to my husband in the car. We were on a car trip and I don't remember why I, I mean, he was bored and I I ended up reading it aloud. So I, I mean, I have like really spent some time with this cholera book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A good sign. I think that it's a good one. Okay. Catherine, tell me what you hate. Uh, yes. The book I hate,
1: um, the Virgin suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell us more
1: the strange thing is i read it after middlesex and i consider middlesex a phenomenal novel and so i think part of it was just the like disorientation of you know the dis- the disappointment of not loving you know the the other novel that was out at that point um it's just so depressing and i think it probably like has this meaning that i am i didn't wasn't picking up so to me it was just like people dying Repeat like over and over again, and I just I didn't even really love like the sentences. I didn't love it on a sentence level either. And again, in 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 Middlesex, he's such a great writer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, not not a fan.
0: There are five sisters in that family who commit suicide one after the other. Are there? Are there not? Is that right? I haven't actually read it. I've only read the marriage plot by him, and I've been meaning to read middle oh, sex for ages. Middle sex. I think yeah. I do. And I'm, I've been torn on the virgin suicides.
1: Yeah. Because not, of
0: descriptions like yours. Yeah. Not at all a fan. Um, how are you in general about going kind of dark? I mean, I can
1: go there, but I guess ultimately I like there to be some sort of redemption. And maybe that is actually what was missing from that sto- for, from that story for me was there was like nothing redemptive. It was just, they killed themselves and and then the next one killed herself, you know, okay. so I can go dark if there's like redemption in the end. Okay.
0: What are you reading now, Catherine?
1: I am reading Brown Girl Dreaming mm-hmm. by, um, is it Jacqueline Woodson? Yes. Yes. I'm about halfway through. It's, it's lovely. It's a memoir in verse and I'm, it, it's uh, about her experience of growing up um, in, in part in the South, but now they've moved to New York City. Uh-huh.
0: What made you pick that up?
1: Actually, I I picked it up because I've I've, I've intentionally been um, reading more about race and racism in mm-hmm. the United States. And so there was that in the back of my head. But I also just uh, Skyped with a class of fifth graders about memoir. Um, they were doing a series um learning about memoir and writing their own memoirs. And I thought that was awesome. But I I could not think of very many memoirs for children, you know, uh-huh. Um, and that is a, a young adult memoir. I mean, even though it's written again in verse, it's mm-hmm. still memoir.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, yeah, so I picked it up just to have 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 read it or at least started it before mm-hmm. I did that conversation, which was so fun.
0: Oh, it sounds so fun. It sounds fun. OK, Catherine, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life?
1: Uh, yes. The attention thing is a problem for me. You know, I I definitely have noticed that um, reading shorter things and just, you know, internet brain is, is starting to affect me. And so I want to, to carve out more space where I just, you know, sit and read for, you know, a solid 40 minutes without checking email or, you know, clicking on something else. So just wanting to add some more discipline of attention to my reading life.
0: I hear you on that. All right. I have some ideas in mind. We'll get to them right after the break. Readers, welcome back. Catherine, you chose an interesting assortment of books. So on the surface, they don't seem to have a lot in common, but here's what I think brings them together. I can totally see... (laughs) you're an author. I can totally see each of these authors sitting down in a pitch meeting with their agent or their publisher, or, you know, even having coffee with a friend and saying, I have an idea for this book. And it goes like this, this is what's going to happen. And I can see their agent or publisher or friend listening and being like, really, (sighs) are you sure that's a good idea? Oh, that's true.
1: They all have like terrible elevator speeches.
0: (laughs) Terrible. Awful elevator speeches. So for all of these, the book isn't really about what the book is about. Like, Consider the Birds is about birds, kind of, not really. Like, that's mm-hmm. not her point. And Ursula Under is I mean it is about a girl who falls down a well and there are you know the rescue people and there's a climber and she's mm-hmm. down a well but that is so not the point of the book. And mm-hmm. you know you said I read this book about cholera like you're all excited. <laughs> it's just a jumping off point. Mm-hmm. So these books all have strong themes and I feel like the author has taken pains to instead of address it head on and say like I want to talk about religion or you know human suffering and redemption they've all gone through the back door. Mm-hmm. So Definitely. I'm I'm sure that every book you read doesn't share that thread. But I think there's a whole lot of good, good books that do that make you read this book about some topic like, I don't know, spelunking, or worm composting that you had no idea you could care about as much as you do by page like 180. Mm-hmm. And I just <laughs> thought it was really interesting that all your picks had that in common. Okay, so I'm looking for books that have an interesting concept you know that hook that draws you in that makes you go it's a book about what and that the author then uses to talk about whatever it is she really wants to talk about or maybe she doesn't even know what she wants to talk about but what what underlying deep you know motives and themes are at the heart of the story about cholera so let's see what you think of these That redemption thing is throwing me though, because I love a good redemption story. However, these really interesting concepts that are coming to mind are all they all have their dark side. Okay. I can I can handle it. (laughs) I know you can. I'm gonna be brave. I know you can, but I wanna like make your reading heart sing. We'll see. Let's see what you think of these. Okay. Book one is The Telling Room by Michael Paternity. Are you familiar with this one? I'm not. Okay. I heard about it through Michael Pollan, who I think blurbed it and said a bunch of like crazy superlative things about how it was amazing and would change your life. So this is narrative nonfiction. The subtitle tells you a lot and gives you a hint at what I was talking about, like through the back door. So it is a tale of love, revenge, betrayal, and the world's greatest piece of cheese. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. Didn't see that coming. (laughs) So the seed for this story was planted 25 years ago when the author was, I think, a creative writing student at Michigan. And he happened upon a description of the world's best cheese in some copy from Zingerman's Deli, that famous um, that famous place in Ann Arbor. So I think he was working. I think, I think he was just copywriting stuff for them and was like, Oh, this sounds interesting. So he was just really caught by the description. It's the kind of thing where you read something in a magazine and you're like, Oh, one day I'd love to, I'd love to take me there. Tell me more. So there was some lone cheesemaker in this isolated region in Castile in Spain. And there was an ancient family recipe and old fashioned methods. And of course it was a secret recipe and technique. It was just a glimpse into a whole other world for him. So then he went on to become a respected journalist for major publications. And years later, when he was searching for material to write about, he revisited that cheese in his mind as he had throughout the years. And he decides, I'm going to write about this. And he embarks on what turns into a 10 year journey to trot down the cheesemaker in Spain. And the cheesemaker is this totally, I mean, You would invent him to write your novel, just totally larger than life, patriarch of a clan in this isolated part in Spain that just his paternity's account of how to get to this tiny village is... Your heart's in your throat a little bit like, oh, will he make it? Because it sounds so perilous. He weaves the story through many years through the heart of Catalonia and Spain with this really crazy cast of characters. His family moves there for a time. He's going back and forth between continents. And what he wants to tell is the story of the world's greatest piece of cheese. And he finds out it's not that straightforward after all. There is love and hate and lots and lots of alcohol and wine and storytelling. In Oh, the telling room is... uh, it's a place where stories are told, but it's also a place where they test the, um, they might test the wine, but they also test the cheese. It's like a tasting room basically. Mm -hmm. But because the men of the village spend so much time there, it's also where all the stories are told. So that's where Mm -hmm. the title comes from. And the author just totally falls under the spell of this great storyteller, the cheesemaker Ambrosio and the tiny village of Guzman. And he just unearths, more about his family and the history. And of course there's been this big rift between the guy and his best friend about the cheese. And it's, it's so, I mean, it sounds like the stuff of folklore, but it's real. And throughout Mm -hmm. the process, Uh, It's interesting to hear his he's very self-aware throughout the book that he's writing a book about the cheese. So you hear this bit about how he's lost the thread and he doesn't know what direction to take it in. So he goes back to his publisher again and has his contract extended again because the story is just not coming together. I think this would be a wonderful book club pick. And this is why like this is real time storytelling. He doesn't know how the story is going to end. And the last third of the book would make for excellent discussion fodder like you're gonna want to finish it and talk to somebody about it because either the ending is going to feel perfect to you and by ending i mean the last third it's either going to feel perfect or it's going to make you want to throw something and no matter what side of the coin you land on that's there's just so much so so much much there to talk about
1: oh that sounds great
0: okay yeah sounds like something you might be interested in it does yeah although you're gonna want to pick up your kids and go to europe and he takes his family so you're like he did it i can too let's go to Castile. Okay. Book two, total change of pace. I am drawing on some backstory. I think you recommended the age of miracles to me forever ago. So I know, I I know you're good with YA and that is where we're going to go. And this is kind of a heartbreaker. So for your redemption story, mm -hmm. I, did I say what this was? Did I no. tell you the title, Catherine? That's no, probably no. important. I wasn't going to tell you very much about the book on purpose, but I'll tell you the title. So it's All the Bright Places by Jennifer Niven. And when I read this myself, I picked it. I took it to the beach, picked it up, opened the front cover and started reading. Like, I don't know if I even read the um, the jacket copy. And I think that might be the best way to approach it. And I know that you've read The Fault in Our Stars. Don't you really like that one? Mm-hmm. And actually the publisher describes this as the Fault in Our Stars meets Eleanor and Park, which is, Oh, uh, that's another, yeah, that sounds about right to me. So this is Niven's eighth novel, but it's her first for YA readers. So she's, you know, proven, but she's doing a new audience here. And it's about two high school students, a boy and a girl. They meet on the ledge of the very high bell tower at their school. And they strike up a very unlikely, Friendship. So he's the classic bad boy. She is um, the good girl who's had something happen in her past that she's upset about. And they, yeah, just an unlikely friendship that goes in a direction you don't expect. And here's the reason I'm recommending it to you. So Niven is talking about really deep, serious themes. And if you read a little about the backstory of this book, you'll see how writing this book was Niven's own act of redemption for something she experienced tangentially um, Hmm. because of something that happened to a friend. So there's definitely like a great, she's writing with great purpose. And I don't want you to think like, Oh, this book is so important, which means you won't enjoy it at all. But, but she definitely is approaching it from like seeking to redeem something tragic that happened in her past. So I know you'll be good with it for the listeners. I would recommend reading some reviews first, just because I'm sure some people, this is going to be a trigger the the topic. And you, you do want to know more than Catherine would before you launch in. So just do a little research before you pick it up. But, but the concept, so this boy and this girl who, you know, strike up a friendship and he is, uh, fun and exciting in a way that her like stayed good girl self never has. And I think for a school project, they end up visiting all these like famously Weird Guinness Book World Records type of places in rural Indiana. Like they go to see, like, the world, the Indiana's smallest amusement park, which is like this roller coaster in somebody's farm, cornfield, basically. And they go see the biggest can of paint and the, like, m- most meters of yarn wrapped up into one ball. So the story is propelled along by their adventures to see these really, really weird, random things in rural Indiana. So, it's about love and friendship, but it's these odd adventures that are moving the story actually forward in time. How does that sound?
1: It sounds compelling. I'll consider it.
0: <laughs> You're going to go see what it's actually about.
1: I might. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Okay. Book three is We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves by Karen Joy Fowler. And for anyone who only knows Fowler from the Jane Austen Book Club, this is going to be a real surprise to you. And again, I'm recommending this because of its unusual premise and what she does with it. Catherine, do you know anything about this one or about Karen Joy Fowler? I don't. Fowler? I
1: think I've heard of it. The, the title sounds familiar.
0: Okay. Have you, yeah, because it's um catchy. The cover's mm. kind of ugly too. It's eye-catching, but not in an attractive way. It's like black mm. and yellow. Okay. So on page one, we may... Rosemary, and she's a college student who's grieving the loss of her twin sister Fern, and it's not her biological sister, but the two girls were raised together from birth until they're separated at age five. And it's not till the end of the novel that you found out what happened to her sister and why and what happened in the interim. And again, I'm, keep, I don't know what it is today. I'm keeping mum on, um, one of the details of this relationship for fear you will all cry spoiler. I just, I don't know. Do you like to know?
1: No, the, I don't. Yeah, I, I do not like spoilers, so no spoilers. <laughs>
0: and even some really great books I've read, like the goldfinch. I read the review and I knew what the book was about and was really surprised to see that if you read the book, you don't actually find out. So about the inciting incident doesn't happen until after page 100. I'm like, yeah. well, yeah. that's <laughs> why did you tell me? <laughs> so. So every review that has ever been written of we are all completely beside ourselves will mention this important detail about her sister Fern. But when you're reading the book, you don't find out until about a quarter of the way in. And I think it's best that way. The jacket hints strongly at it, Mm -hmm. but you don't find out for sure until about 25% of the way in. So if you want to remain unspoiled, keep your research to a minimum. Okay. It's smart and sad and haunting and While it's about a girl who grew up in a very unusual family situation and a family that's still in trouble because of it, um, like her brother is wanted by the FBI. And that's a thread that runs throughout the book. Of course, it's about more than that. Or we'd have, I don't know. I was going to say we'd have a sci-fi story, but those have deep meanings too, but th- this isn't that kind of genre novel. So it's about love and ethics and nature and nurture and really what it really means to be human. Like when you were describing consider the birds, I thought, mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many ways to get it. Human nature in interesting nuanced ways. How hmm. does that sound?
1: That sounds very interesting. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I may have to pick that one up. I mean, I may have to pick all of them up because <laughs> I trust you.
0: Okay. Of those three titles, what do you think you'll read next?
1: You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm torn because the cheese is very, um, you, you kind of had me at cheese, but now, um, and I was, I was sure that that was going to be my answer, but I think I might go with, we are all completely beside ourselves.
0: Well, I was going to say, read the cheese. Cause I want to hear oh. what you think about the cheese, but you know, I'd love to hear what you think about Rosemary and Fern as well.
1: I think I'm in a place where I need a novel too. So that's also swaying me toward uh, one of the novels. That is a real thing. It is. I I read so much nonfiction. Um, Novels are
0: good for me. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to help. Thanks for talking books with me today. Thank you so much. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Catherine today please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Catherine should read next. That page is at what should I read next slash 35. Those are the numerals three, five. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E B as in books. O G E L readers. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations, and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have.